So, uh, vision correction as a series is essentially about the healing of the man born blind. It's essentially an exploration of the ninth chapter of John. And it's rare in the Gospels, the four books that talk about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's rare that an entire chapter is devoted to just one person. But in this particular case, it is. And it's, uh, the ninth chapter of John is just this colorful, multi-layered, uh, portion of scripture that invites us to use our imagination is what I kind of want to do. I want to, it's given, we're given things in broad stroke. I want to try to get in between the lines a little bit, get us thinking, get us using our creativity a little bit. I want to go back to, and you can follow along either in the handout, if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, whatever. John 9 is where we're picking up and we're going to just quickly reconnect to the verses we covered last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with them. I just need to reset it. Okay. So it says that as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind. He was, had been blind from his birth. And then we're told that Jesus spit on the ground. And we talked about this. We really got into it. Made, how Jesus made mud with the saliva. You see that verse 6? And spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He had never healed a man like this. There's no, this is the only recorded time of him healing anyone this way. So it's an unusual thing Jesus does. I think he does it for a reason. Um, but it says, he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. You can actually see a portion of that pool today. If you go to Israel, to Jerusalem, the old city, remember we, we showed it last week, there's still a little part of that that's uncovered. And uh, it was a larger pool than what you can see now. But it's a real place. And the, the, where he was sent is a real place. And it says that, so the man went and he washed and he came back seeing. Now last week we talked about the power of simple obedience. And again, What's interesting is that our Lord did not simply stoop down, which he could have done. Think about it. He's like a master surgeon in this regard with advanced technology. He could have, he could have just said, you're, you're healed. He just spoke it. There were times he did do that. Um, but in this case, he put the beggar, if you will, who's going to be revealed as a man of great wit, uh, and resource. He put him to a test. And don't ask, wait, I don't always know why God, why this happens in some cases and not in others. I don't even try to figure out the way of Jesus. I just go with it. But in this case, he says, you need to do something. You're gonna, I want to heal you. And he had been talking to the disciples about it, about the man. They asked him theological questions. He told them it's not what you're thinking about. I'm not even interested in having that discussion right now. I just want to heal him. In many ways, he is representative of everything I've come to do. His utter blindness, because he was blind from birth, never saw a thing in his entire life. Nothing. All he had known was darkness. And in some ways, Jesus said, this is exactly a picture of where everyone is spiritually apart from me, and I've come to address that. I am the light of the world. He says it in that exchange. But then to the blind man, he, he says, you need to do some things. I want, you need to, first off, you need to let me, 
as he made the mud with the spit and saliva and the dirt, you need to let me put this on your eyes. I'm not going to force you to do it. I want to heal you. All right. Puts it on. Jesus says, and I don't want you to wash it off. You need to let it sit there. You need to go and find your way. You need to walk through the streets of Jerusalem and go to the Pool of Siloam. And then when you get there, you need to wash your eyes. Well, you know, can't you just, like, heal me? If you're going to heal me, this is silly. No, you need to do what I'm saying. Well, why? So he, he has to walk through the streets. Now, he may have known those streets better than some. He'd walked them before. But he had to find his way to the Pool of Siloam. I want in our mind's eye for us to kind of imagine that. He's moving through the street. And he's trying to find his way. Eventually, he gets to where the Pool of Siloam is. He finds his way. There are people there, obviously. He's not alone. Please make room. Make way. I need to get to the water. Leave me some room, please. Let me get some of the water. He's got mud all in his eyes. It's, it's caked by now. People are looking at him. Look at the guy with the caked mud on his eyes. He gets down. Uh, he told me I needed to get in the water and wash. No other place would do. Okay. What do I have to lose? Takes the water, starts to wash his eyes. That mud out of my eyes. Mm. Gets it out. While he's washing the mud away, the blindness goes with it. I don't know if it was a little bit. I don't know if it was a lot. I imagine him looking for the first time ever, and he can see the sun. He looks over here. He can see a bush, something blowing in the. Oh God, I'm blowing in the. I see. I see. I see dirt. I, 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 I see people. I, I see in this liquid mirror me. And I can only imagine as he looked and saw himself that he watched it also ripple with the tears of joy that were dripping down his cheek landing on that water for the first time ever I can see. That's the picture we're given. Broad stroke. Beautiful. Amazing. Okay. What follows? Okay. What follows is what we have to look at. There are essentially, if you follow the chapter all the way through, there's essentially what we might call five vignettes or exchanges that Jesus, that people have. I should say that's the better way to look at it. There are these little pictures of exchanges between people. The first one is what occurs in verse 8. We're going to look at it, verses 8 through 12. It says his neighbors, and there it is, his neighbors and others who knew him as the blind beggar, they asked each other, they said, hey, isn't that, isn't that, the, isn't that the man who used to sit and beg? What's he? He's blind. Isn't that the same guy? He can see now. What's that? Some said, yeah, that's him. That's him. Others said, no, no, that's not him. It just looks like it, right? And they asked, finally, somebody asked him and said, hey, hey, um, but the beggar kept saying, no, 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 no. I, I am the same one. It's me. It's me. I'm the guy. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And I can see. I can see. What happened to you? What, what, how, how can you? Who, who healed you? How did that occur? What's happened? This says that he told them. Look at verse 11. He told them. Well, there was this man. 
This man, I don't know, this man called Jesus, he made some mud, he, 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 like, he spread it out over my eyes, and then he told me, he said, he said, after he did it, he said, you need to go to the Pool of Siloam and, then only, and wash yourself there. You know, I, I did what he said. I did what he said. I went and I washed, and now I can see. What else can I say? It's a miracle. Where is he now? Where is this Jesus? I don't know. I don't even know what he looks like, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've never seen him. <laughs> really, I've never seen him, ever. I just knew what he told me to do. And I can see. And then the second vignette. Well, you can't. That was, this is an amazing thing. And you say that he was just Jesus somehow used by God to heal you. You know what? You need to go, and you need to go talk to the authorities. We want you to. In fact, we need you to tell them what happened to you, because this is amazing. This is like an amazing miracle. And they need to know about it. Remember, so it says, and look at verse uh, 13. It says, then they took him who had been, been born blind to the Pharisees. Now, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are one of the two great religious parties at that time, but they're not just religious parties. They're not just... Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were essentially two groups, two parties, socio-political parties. They were religious-based, but they were political parties. They essentially ran Jerusalem under the auspices of Roman governance. So you had a Roman governor who let the Jewish people at the time run their, essentially, city. And the two parties that ran it were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they had, they had philosophies about the scripture that uh, informed how they saw the world and uh, wanted the, the society to be governed. And so one of the things that happens is when this miracle occurs, the, this man who was claims to have been healed by this Jesus, we need you to go tell that to the authorities. They need to hear about what's happened. Now he says, okay, I guess I can do that. He goes, they bring him. Now what he doesn't know is that he's about to be ushered into one of the great controversies of Jesus' day. He has no idea what he's walking into. He just thinks, I'm going to go and tell, tell them what happened to me, and then that's that. I can move on. He, get, he has no idea that they're already, I mean, if, if, you, if you were to watch what happens here, um, they're, they're having this uh, controversy around the Sabbath, okay? And the Sabbath for some of us, we're going, what is, you know, how does it, but when you read the Gospels, it's always there. What is this Sabbath controversy thing? Okay, some of us remember that of the Ten Commandments that God gave through Moses to his people Israel, the fourth one was, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, honor it. The seventh day is to be a day of no work, a day of rest, where you replenish yourself and honor God. Why? Because human beings are not simply beasts of burden. They were created not just to work, but in some way different than that. They were created to um, know God, to love, to rest, to recreate. And that seventh day, God wanted him to say, man does not live by bread alone. Human beings don't live by simply what they labor. You live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There was a reason. It goes all the way back to the Genesis account when God himself rested and saw what he had, he had done and said, it is good. It's, it's, it's something that separates us from the animals. That's what God taught Israel. And so they had a very sacred sense of the Sabbath. That was the seventh day. For them, that was Saturday. So their Saturday was a day that was set apart as a day of non-work and rest. It was designed to be a blessing. But by Jesus' time, 
there was a lot of controversy that had been brewing, not just between the two parties themselves, but also because of Jesus. The question was not, should one work on the Sabbath? Everybody agreed it should be a day of rest, even Jesus. The issue was, for the Pharisees and the scribes who were the lawyers of the law, was, well, what actually constitutes work? See, this is important. In their mind, it, everybody agrees, no work, we need to rest. But what is work? Ah, yes. And they had, they had detailed, detailed thoughts around what constituted work and how you could break the law and violate the Sabbath. And so people were very much aware that you couldn't on the seventh day do work. Here's the problem. The day Jesus heals the blind man, and I don't think it was coincidence, was a Sabbath. And in their mind, some of them, the very fact that Jesus even made, made, create, worked the sand, the dirt, and made it into mud, that was breaking the Sabbath. Then, on top of that, to take the mud and then to put it on the man's eyes. Another act of work, breaking the Sabbath. And then on top of that, I know this is going to sound ludicrous, but to actually heal him on the Sabbath. He should have at least waited a day, right? You can't do that because you know why? God doesn't undercut himself. If he was from God, he would know that. Now, again, we might say, that's so silly, that's crazy. But in their mind, the most sacred thing they had been given as a people, as their identity, was the very word and, word and law of God. So the idea that somehow God would contradict himself was to them something that they, could, they were really having a problem with. And Jesus, it seemed, kind of flouted the issue. Like he had said this in Mark 2, and I asked them if they could put it up. Check this out. This is what he said. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. You have, Jesus said, flipped the places of emphasis. You've created a system that was designed to be a blessing, and you've turned it into something that is life-constrictive, not life-giving. It was made by God to be a blessing to people, to reconnect them with their creator in creative ways, to replenish them, to remind them it's not just about working and working and working, and then we die. No, it's about knowing God, loving people. It's about having rest and replenishment. It's about reflection. And, he, and Jesus said, you took the law and you turned it upside down and what was meant to be life-giving, you turned it into something that's death-dealing. You've completely missed the point, Jesus. And so I think Jesus intentionally, when he heals this man, he's actually fulfilling, in his mind, the purpose of Sabbath. He's setting free. Well, okay, here's the issue. They bring in the blind man, all right? And he, the blind man, comes into this environment. <laughs> Look at verse 14. Look at what, I'm not just making it up. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. There it is. The Pharisees asked the man all about, we want to talk to you about the day he healed you and what he did. And so they call him in again, in our mind's eye. Come in here. Now this is a powerful group. This is the most powerful group in Jerusalem and in Israel at the time. This is an intimidating environment. They brought him to this environment the statement said, you need to go in and tell them. We want to talk to you. We want to ask you some questions about what happened. You need to tell us specifically, what did he do and when? Well, like I've been mentioning, 
I've been saying this. And again, watch what happens. He goes and he says, look, I was just, I was where I always am. I, I, I could never, I wasn't able to see. And he came and, and, and he came to me and he made this like, he, he made, he asked, he made, he made some mud. Uh, and he, all I know is he asked if he could put it on my eyes and he caked it on there. And then he told me to go and don't touch it. Don't take it off. Uh, he said that I was supposed to go find my way to the pool of Siloam, which is what I did. I went there. I, I did what he told me. He said, he told me to wash. He told you to wash your eyes. Yes. He said to wash my, you washed your eyes on the Sabbath. Yes, I, yeah, I, yeah. Uh-huh, okay. And tell us what else happened. Well, I, I can see. Hmm. Okay, back to the Sabbath principle, right? It's almost like you're going, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. I, don't feel, I feel like he's almost saying, um, excuse me, did you understand what I said? I can see. We understand that. We want to talk about is the Sabbath right here. Look what it says happens. It says that some of the Pharisees said, um, this, see, as he's talking, this is, imagine it, this is going on, right? He's telling them, yeah, he told me to do this and do this. And, that. and they go, and then all of a sudden, a, an argument breaks out with this, this intensely powerful group. And they start arguing amongst themselves. It says it was a deep division. All of a sudden, they start going, see, I told you, he was working on the Sabbath. You cannot do that. He cannot be from God. The others are saying, but he has to be from God. Who else could heal someone like that? He's, he's from God. He may not do that. No, it is impossible. God would not send someone to come contradict the very law that he has given us, that, it, that essentially establishes the core of our identity as a people. No, he cannot be of God. Whatever power he has, it's not from God. But it, how could it not be from God? They're having this huge argument. I imagine the blind man going, okay, I'm just going to like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just sort of like back away and let this thing play out, which it seems is what he did. And they're going back and forth. It says, how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous things and signs? So look at that verse. So there was a deep division of opinion among them. There's intense differences of opinion. He can't be from God. Only a sinner would, but he healed the man. I don't care how he healed the man. He violated the law of God and the law of God is greater Whatever he used, whatever power he has, I don't know where it comes from. I don't really care. All I know is this is going on. And they say, we need it. And then watch what happens. Come here. Hey, we want to ask you another question. Come on over here. Yeah. We have a question for you. Now, he's been listening. He sees where this is going. You got two divided camps. They say, we want your opinion about this man. I want you to tell us what you, who do you think, what do you think about him? Give us your opinion of him. Well, I, (laughs) I think he's looking around and he's going, man, if I say this, I'm in trouble here. If I say this, I'm in trouble here. Uh, well, um, my opinion, my opinion, I believe, I believe he, I I believe he is a prophet. I believe he's a prophet of God. That's what I believe. Yes, I do. 
The older version says, he is a prophet. Now, prophets in the Older Testament had the ability to do signs and wonders. Their message was often accompanied by power displays of modest, miraculous things were done by the prophets of the Older Testament. And so what he was saying was, really, he reminds me of those who've come to our people before, who are sent from God, who God gives some ability and some uh, capacity to heal. That's you asking my opinion. I give you my opinion. I I consider him to be a prophet of, of God. Okay, it, that's that. Now, but, oh, two things about this man. I want us to pause for a moment because uh, just breathe in. Now, again, just try to try. Man, my imagination. He is simple, man. I'm a simple man. He's just happy he can see. He's been dragged in front of this most powerful group of leaders in Jerusalem who could utterly ruin his life. I mean, just as he's been given it in his own way. He's got to be so careful. But here's the thing. He's simple. But, but as I look at him, I go, what? The, it's amazing to me because he, is, he has an education. If you look closely, you can see it. You know what his education is? It's the education of the street. Because one thing about this man, he has that uncanny ability that comes to someone who always has to find his way with people at a disadvantage. He has an unusual knack of understanding human nature. He has insight. He knows how to read people. It's what he does. It's how he survives. What's more, he knows how to talk. He's been good at it, got good at it. He knows how to cajole. He knows how to work. He knows how to talk. There's two things that become pretty apparent. He's badgered. He's cajoled. He, he, so here he is this, if I can say it this way, this nobody in front of a bunch of somebodies trying to give an explanation. And he does the best that he can do. You know, when I looked at this, I go, wow. So he's, and he's holding his own. I mean, he's, he may have been scared, but he's not acting like it. When he's asked the question of who Jesus is, you know one of the things they did and they didn't even realize it? And you can see it happening. Because up until this point, he just said, they asked him, who, what, how did this happen? Oh, this, this man, this man named Jesus. But as he's been listening to the whole argument going on, you know what they did? And the more they pressed him, the more they pressed him, like, you didn't tell, what is your opinion of him? Now, he, maybe he hadn't thought it through all the way. It seems like this was the first time that he was like going, you know, the more that I think about it, <laughs> you know, I believe he is a prophet of God. Like they literally drive him to think different about what he has experienced. It's almost like the more they pressed him, the more he began to process through, you know, who is he? Actually, now that you're pressing me on it, I'll tell you what I think he is. I think he's a prophet. That's what I think. And I think you need to listen to him implied. Okay, a couple of things for us. This is the part that's, that hit me. I'm just going to share it with you, and hopefully we take it where it goes. Maybe into this week. I know some of us are taking notes, and we process this through throughout the week, and we think about it and pray about it. But here's something I want us to consider. Sometimes faith, listen, has to be given room to grow. Do you see it? To emerge 
Uh, faith and understanding are often products of a process. They're a growing thing, something that emerges a little at a time. You know, the blind man, he originally only thought of Jesus as a man, maybe a teacher. Then, but he comes to see him now because he's pushed into it as a prophet of God. By the time this chapter ends, he will confess him as the Son of God. It's a process. Some of us are emerging in our faith and loyalty. And I need to say that to some of, some of us. Some of us I mentioned earlier when we prayed, I would say, you're not maybe a believer yet in the Lord in the sense that you would say to someone who asked you, are you a follower of Jesus? Hey, I admire him. He's a good man. I believe he's sent from God in some way. No, but do you believe he's the son of God? But you're a lot way further than you were. Some of us, it's an immediate thing. I don't know how to describe it. It's just like something happens in our lives. Behold, you know, the Lord, oh, something, seed hits into our heart. It's the right time. We accept Jesus, the world, the spirit. Our eyes just open up. I see everything. I see him now. I see him everywhere. I can, his words coming alive to me. I feel his presence in my life. It's like I'm alive. It's incredible. And others of us, I've noticed, it's a process. Almost like that C.S. Lewis kicking and screaming into the kingdom thing, right? We slowly, it's like the blind man. We come from here, we get to here, and eventually we get here. And before we know it, this is who he is to us. So what I would say to some of us who are on this process, I'm glad you're on it. Stay on it. The Lord's drawing you towards him. It's okay. It's good. I would love for it to be today, but I'm saying he's working in our lives. How good is that? You know that song, uh, the hymn, Amazing Grace, that I think connects so amazing with this vision correction? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I found, was blind, but now I see. That's the most popular hymn sung by everyone. Uh, presidents and singers who have no knowledge of Jesus, but just as a part of a heritage of our nation and, and culture, amazing grace is sung all the time by everyone all over the world. That song was written over 200 years ago by a man named John Newton. And John Newton was a messed up man, evil by his own confession, a slave trader when his heart began to get changed by the message of Jesus that had always been with him since a boy, but he had turned his back on so long ago. And you know what I came to, I thought, I thought the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, that he came to Jesus, he opened up his life to the Lord and said, I wanna follow you, Lord. And then the next day, woke up and started writing and then out popped Amazing Grace, right? It didn't happen that way. It was like over almost 20 years, almost three decades later, when he eventually, as an older minister, by that point, to accompany his message that he was giving on New Year's, writes this little thing on the side called Amazing Grace as he reaches back into his past and remembers the kind of man he was and says to himself, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved. And then he remembers who he was. In a way, it's all of us. A wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And the reason I appreciate that so much is because it's a reminder that it's a process in our lives sometimes. It happened all at once. But that was his story to tell. Oh, and the second piece is this. There are few things as powerful, you guys. That was part of John Newton's story. There are few things as powerful as an honest telling of our story. We're all called, listen to me, we're all called, if we love, if we've been touched by Jesus, we're all called to be storytellers. The blind man is a storyteller. Tell us what happened. Tell us your story. Okay, I will. And here it is. Now first, now here's the thing. He didn't just, like, he was scared, but he told it. The first group asked him, what happened to you? Well, let me tell you my story. Well, we got to bring you to the, 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 the Pharisees to, to have you talk to these, these learned men and explain what happened. And then he tells them his story. In a way, God is asking all of, I look at that and I go, oh, Lord, his bravery to me is inspiring. You're going to see it show up big time next week. But there are going to be times, if I can say it this way, loved ones, that, that God's going to ask us, those of us who claim to love him, to speak up on his behalf. And to tell us what happened. I, I will, who is he? Uh, I believe. See? Some of us, in these next two weeks, we're supposed to tell our story. You know, our church has a mission statement, right? Live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. Personal and our church's pursuit. There are people in our lives, friends, family, people we associate with, care about deeply. We need to invite them into this story. We need to tell them about what Jesus has done. There are others of us who are working with people. They kind of know we are maybe followers of Jesus, maybe. This is the time. Invite them into the story. Come and see. Invite them into the story. There are others of us, I mean, again, we might be standing at a, a bus stop, and all of a sudden a bus goes by, and there's this cornerstone thing on it. Come and see. You know, I'd love for you to come and see. The whole point of it is, I need to tell you my story. We need to be storytellers. The blind man was a storyteller of what Jesus had done. The healing we have found, the light we see that causes us to magnify, to bow down, to sing his praises, to live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. And the last thing I'll say about this, and this is where we're going to leave it. And this is the part that actually most touched me at a, at a personal level myself. May we never forget, loved ones, look at this, how much we are loved, how much we have been given, and how he uses the mud and the clay to open us up to new ways of seeing and being. Let that sit. Just as Jesus made the mud that brought the healing. Listen, sometimes it's from the mud. The dirty places, the messy places, the less than ideal places, the struggling places, the humbling, utterly broken places from which his deepest healing comes to us. I love the fact that he put the healing through the mud. I love it. Where are we most broken? Where are we most injured? Another one. Where are we most ashamed? Where is our hurt most profound? Where are we most discouraged and beaten? Listen. I love this. 
he will stoop. He will stoop to meet us there. That's where he will anoint my eyes. He'll anoint your eyes there, right there. What can I give him back? Many things, but most of all, I can share with others what he has done for me. Tell our story and invite others into it. I have always been able to see physically. So have you. The gift of sight. Do we understand what a beautiful thing that is? Not all of us have it. To see. I can see this. I can see this. I can see things. I can see things. I can see things. See things. I always have been able to. I, I take for granted my eyes. I can see. There has never been a day in my life that I have not been able to see. I got up this morning and it was very dark. I opened my eyes, didn't think twice, walked through the hall, turned on the light because I could see. It didn't even dawn on me to think, can I see? I know I can see. We're going to walk outside. We're not even going to think about it. Look around us, beauty, anything else that we see. We just take for granted. I take for granted my sight. What a gift it is. How wonderful to not have it. Do we understand also? I, and then I was thinking, I was going, Lord, I take for granted my vision. I take for granted my ability to see things. I am so blessed to be able to see. And then it dawned on me, but I'm even more blessed to be able to see spiritually. And how many times do I take that? For, I mean, you opened my eyes. I couldn't see, but you gave me life. You gave me light. You, you gave me the ability to see. And I think what happens in the same way that I am capable of taking for granted this amazing capacity to see things, I can take for granted the same thing with the Lord in my life. Like, oh, I can see. Okay. What a, what a, do you know what a gift we have? This is all about saying, Lord, it is an amazing thing to be able, you open my eyes and I see, don't ever, ever let me forget what a blessing I have been given where I was blind, but now I see. I see you. I see. And I got to tell somebody about that. You see what I'm saying? I think we see. And we see more. All right, let's pray. Lord, ah, oh God, I ask that you would keep working in our lives, even those of us who've kind of become accustomed to seeing. We've taken it for granted. We see, we've seen your face. We've tasted your grace. We've known your touch. We've felt alive. We've opened up, had things open up in our hearts. And for some of us, Lord, we've just happened so much, so long ago, that it's become something we take for granted. But what a gift, ah, what a gift, what a gift to know you, to know your love, to have your word open up to us, God, to come alive, to have my blindness that I never saw the light ever, to have you take away my blindness, my dark, and to open my eyes 
It's what you did, and I ask that you would do it in the lives of other people. I pray into that these next few weeks that we would see eyes opened up all over the world, but also in this place, and that you would use all of us who are here to be part of that in some way to tell our story. So as we bring this time to a close, we bring our time, we're going to have our time of giving. Yes, we honor you as a community and church, but Lord, also the song that we close with, let it just, let it just put the emphasis point on everything we've shared and let our hearts just stay soft before you as we make our way out. We ask for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen, God.